Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. This is Nicolene Peck, and I am joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. So Paige, today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about the pattern of decline and how to revive your family. So we're going to be discussing how families end up declining as far as like their love, their bond, their attachment, their relationship. How does this fall into a state of decline? You know, sometimes we look at our families and we say, how did this happen? Things were good. You know, we didn't want this to happen. How did we get to this place? And then after we assess how it happens so that hopefully we can be mindful of that and not have it happen again in the future, we're going to talk about how to revive the family, how to get things back on track. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be really insightful for for people. But before we talk about that, as is tradition on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we are going to share a fun family activity. Paige, what type of a family activity do you remember from your childhood that you might want to share today? So one that I remember doing and that I loved doing um, is we would make quilts. So there would be times, um, especially my favorite are t-shirt quilts, We'd have a bunch of old t-shirts that maybe we'd saved up from, you know, family reunions or different events or different places because we like to buy t-shirts when we travel um, that maybe were just really old that didn't fit. And we would cut them up into basically quilt squares and then we would quilt them and we'd turn them into a blanket. And that way we could still have the shirts and have the memories, but they wouldn't be in our closet taking up space anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, you learn a lot from quilting, actually. Mm -hmm. So number one, it's a fun activity to do together because you are sitting around a a big quilt thing and you're talking, you know, Mm -hmm. you're talking about the project, you're talking about other things. It's just a great opportunity to just look at each other and talk and to be engaged in something at the same time. And at the end, you've got this beautiful thing to show for your time together. But I think the other thing is that, you know, children like to learn real skills. They like to learn how to make something out of nothing, you know, to take, oh, here's a pile of old shirts. Let's turn it into something, right? Or, you know, just here's this random fabric that we have lying around. Let's turn it into something. So this is a great thing. In fact, I am all about helping children learn life skills. And I feel like things that that lead toward provident living are always good to teach children. So teach them how to chop wood, make fires, fix basic things. Make food. Yeah, make food, sew things, you know, stuff like that. And here's the thing is it really is an activity because it's fun. The children love learning something. Yeah. In fact, I remember growing up, I was in this little group that you led with a bunch of other girls and we'd get together every couple of weeks and we would always learn some new skill. Um, You know, we, we read these little books about these um, girls and the things they're going through. And so we would always do an activity that helped us to learn something, whether it was a craft or, you know, how to make certain foods from the time period that we were learning about 
um, or something like that. Because I remember there were there was a couple times I had friends over and we would make food in the kitchen, you know, and I'd pick up a knife, easy peasy, because we use knives all the time. And this girl was like, I don't, I'm not allowed to use that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> like, I know. When you're yeah. like 12, you're like, wait a minute. What? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> might cut your finger once or twice, but that's just part of the journey, you know? And so, but it was really fun to learn how to quilt, especially because a lot of people associate stuff like that as like, you know, old lady stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And another thing I like to do is crochet, you know, that's considered like an old lady hobby, but I love it. I think it's so fun. But well, okay. So the thing is, is that people like learning stuff. That's actually yeah. oftentimes more engaging and more fun than just a ha ha laughy good time. Yeah. So I think we have to remember that um, with the youth organization at my church that I'm in charge of, my focus is on what will we learn? And I always say, okay, what are we going to learn? You know, and so we create activities specifically around learning something. So every time they're learning gymnastics, line dancing, sewing, baking, you know, whatever, they are learning something because what is the point of spending tons of time and never learning anything, especially when that can be the most motivating and bonding when people learn together, they unite together too. Just having fun can, can be a person can be focused on their own. Like, how do I feel? What am I getting out of it? Is it my turn? It can tend. Or am I having the most fun? Selfishness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That person has been the leader more than me. You know, when Mm -hmm. it just puts the focus sometimes off, it doesn't mean there's not a place for those things because there is. And I love to just play and have a good time and even be competitive. But I think that, you know, when we're thinking about fun family activities, let's see how we can grow because that's also really motivating. And it bonds people together. Okay. So we are going to be talking about the pattern of decline and how to revive our family, how to inject our family with more love, more bonding so that we can pull ourselves out of some of the ruts that we might get in from time to time. And just like everything that we discuss here on this podcast, we're going to be looking through the lens of self-government. So explain self-government, Paige. So self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Great. So what does that look like in a person's life? So that looks like learning skills and principles as you're, you know, growing and learning so that whenever a situation does arise, because they do without warning, um, you can analyze yourself and say, okay, so there's multiple ways I could react to this situation. Which one is going to be best suited for, you know, me, my family, the situation in general, and stuff like that. Yeah, Paige, there are so many adults that do not have this skill. So I know that I know that everybody wants their children to learn self-government, but please know that in order to teach your children self-government, they need to see somebody else governing themselves too. And that somebody else, the best one, is you. So it's hard to learn something like that without a good example. It is. And that doesn't mean you have to be perfect at it, but you have to know what it is beyond the journey yourself. And quite frankly, parents who self-govern make totally different families than parents who just, um, you know, go from one emotional moment to the next and unload on the children all the time. 
that's not self-government. That doesn't mean we can't share our feelings, but, but we certainly should not be thinking just about how we feel all the time. Um, a person with self-government thinks about who they ought to be, who the people are around them and where they're going together, you know, as a group. And they, they focus on how it needs to feel for all of the people to be connected, not just for themselves, you know, which is totally different. So um, I want you to think right now, before we get into this uh, pattern of decline here, what do you want your home and family to feel like? So when you, when you think about your home and your family right now, or maybe even in the future a little bit, what do you want the relationships to be like? What do you want it to feel like? Pick some time, you know, you know, a day in your mind, what does it look like? Is there a list? And if so, maybe like pause this and write it down, write down. What do I want my family to be like? I want it to be like this. I want it to feel like this. I want my bond to be like this. Now, most people when they start writing this down, they actually end up saying, I want there to be this love. I mean, this is a really common word that somebody would write down in it to a question like this. I want there to be a spirit of love in my home, you know, because they recognize that when the people love each other, then there's a bonding that occurs. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of the base important. of it. People say, okay, I want this love because I know if there's love, then there'll be happiness and unity and joy and all those things because they're accompanied with loving each other and being connected and unified in that way mm -hmm. yeah absolutely true so many things hinge on that and without that spirit of love in your home everything starts to fall apart and all those things you just listed Paige, like unity and stuff they just crumble you know without that spirit of love so one thing that I usually recommend that families do is that they decide upon a vision for their family. So in my teaching self-government parenting course and in the book also Parenting a House United, I talk about how to create a vision for your family in the future, how to create a 10-year or a 20-year vision to get your family on the same page about who you're becoming and what you want it to feel like on a regular basis. So, so you can take this little answer to this question that you wrote down, what you want your family to feel like, and then you can expand it into this group picture that everybody can hold on to for a family vision. So I highly recommend that people who share vision with each other, people who have vision don't perish. That's actually a proverb out of the when Bible. I, someone or people who share the vision often don't mm. perish as well, because you can make one but if you don't share it, it tends to be forgotten. I know when we were growing up, um, whenever we would have disagreements with each other um, or anything like that, you'd kind of pull us, pull us together and be like, guys, do you remember that family vision that we made? You know, the one where like 20 years from now or 15 years from now, wherever we were, um, you know, that we're going to be at Christmas and we're going to have this happy feeling and you know, there's going to be just so much love. And I'm like, oh yeah. And you're like, well, what happened right now is not helping us get towards that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're like, oh, you're right. Well, darn it. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll fix that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So talking about it often, I think this is a common mistake. People go, check. I did that. I made that picture. And then later they go, well, how did that help me? 
I don't think it really helped. And it's like, well, if you never talk about it, if you never pull it out of your brain and remember it, then yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to have that vision for your family because then you have a reason for all the different correcting that you're doing and you're, and it's not just for in the moment, because that's something that I think, um, gets parents and kids really hung up is because if you're just correcting things for in the moment control and govern, you know, governing, then it can seem kind of pointless. And it can also seem uh, really exhausting because if you don't have a, a goal that you're shooting towards for all of your hard work, then the hard work becomes really mundane and uh, you really have no reason to be doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about what gets in the way. I mean, we create this vision, we get everybody on the same page. We say, okay, hey, this is where we're headed. So now what gets in the way of us getting there? Mm-hmm. I mean, think of that in your own family before we give you our ideas of what gets in the way. What gets in the way? What is happening that makes it so that you're not getting there or you don't feel like you're on the journey anymore? A lot of people would say distraction gets in the way. That's huge. But distraction can come in many different forms. Oh, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. It could be digital distraction. It could be totally emotional distraction could be a thing. Um, Being wrapped up, you know, in your own head so so that you don't ever bond with the people. Um, Not structuring your time correctly could be a big problem, right? If you don't get your time structured, then whatever happens is going to happen. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's a crapshoot. Then you're like, well, I don't, I mean, it didn't work today, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you have to look at the pattern of what you're doing and kind of create yourself a little formula. In fact, if anything, I would say that's one of the things that people come to me for. They, they say, okay, mm-hmm. I want to learn that formula, that teaching self-government formula for how to create a really good home environment and family culture and family bonding. I mean, really, that is what I teach people all the time is, and there's actually some formulas within the formula, but, but it's like, this is, if you follow this plan, you've got all your key pieces in place, all the little nuts and bolts, and you can maintain the course and accomplish that vision, mm-hmm. you know, of where you're headed. Yeah. And the nice thing about all these things that like these distractions, you can actually take a step back and see the bigger picture because almost always there is this, almost this, like, you know, like we're talking about this pattern, this cycle that happens, you know, with that you have to constantly keep in check. Um, And that's why consistency is so important with talking about the vision and and correcting and learning those skills. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's something that we want to talk about today, because like, we all have that vision of what we want for our family, you know, that loving family that never fights, you know, stuff like that. But um, we really want to talk about maybe even things that you're currently experiencing in your own family, but might not have been able to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm so glad that you brought up this. Sometimes we don't, it's like, we know it's not right, but we don't know why. What, 
what got in the way? We thought we were doing everything right, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm also glad you brought up the fights because there's some people when we said what gets in the way, they're like, well, everybody's fighting all the time. I mean, that gets in the way. But yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of underlying things like people fight. Like if they when they fight, there's always something below the surface that's causing those fights. Exactly. And that's what we want to get to today. So let's talk about that. So um, there is a pattern for decline that was discussed by Henry Eyring. And that's what I'm going to be mentioning here. It's definitely worth discussing. So he was talking uh, about how societies decline. And I think, and, and then relating it to you know, within individuals and within families, it's the same. And so this pattern of decline could be for societies, for nations. It could, I mean, since we're all connected as a global society now, it could be like the entire globe. Okay. Which is a little overwhelming to think about, but, and (laughs) individuals and groups and families. Okay. So um, when societies, individuals, groups, families are thriving, then they are of one heart and one mind and they dwell every day in happiness. So this is an indicator that things are going well. Okay. That, I, I mean, I guess you could say, you know, when it comes to societies or nations or whatever, when everybody is serving and loving each other and they are happy and there's no discord and, you know, conflict and whatever. I mean, I guess, you know, the news is telling stories about people who donated, you know, something to somebody instead of somebody who killed somebody. I don't know. You know, then, then we're having um, our society is thriving. Okay. This would, of course, I don't know. I mean, I, everybody. Has but to- it depends on your definition of thriving. Cause like I've heard stories of, you know, third world country civilizations that uh, they, they all work together for the benefit of everyone and not just for themselves. And so I would say like emotionally and relationship wise, they are thriving, but you know, maybe they don't have clean water. So they're not thriving in that way, but um, they're all working for the betterment of each other. And they're not worried about just themselves. And so I would say, you know, emotionally and relationship wise, they are thriving. Yeah, but I would say that's the most important part of thriving mm-hmm. is that like spiritually, emotionally, and with your bonding, if you yeah. are thriving in that area and you you are growing together with other people, even if educationally you don't have everything you need um, or, or resources, you don't have everything you need, um, you can maintain a very free and happy society, mm-hmm. even if you don't have those other things. Yeah. And I so, think that's, that's what makes, you know, us in first world countries, we, we wonder and we're in awe. We're like, wow, these people are so happy yet. They have so little and their situation is so dire, you know, but they, they just worry about each other and they worry about their relationships. And that's really what's so important. Yeah. I remember when we were in Africa and mm-hmm. some of the just humble circumstances that we saw And some people in those, you know, little huts and ghettos and stuff um, were not happy, right? Some of them carried a burden, a weight, and you could tell, right? And people want to alleviate that weight, and that's why they go and they do good and stuff. 
but then there were some people, I don't know if you remember, we came into that one courtyard, there was these children and, and there was children waiting oh, they for were water. So happy. And they were just so happy. Like these just happy people. And and I'm like, okay, these people live in literally the worst conditions. Mm-hmm. Like that they could live in. Like they live in mud and dirt and they're selling raw meats in a hot day in a wooden they're box getting on the side salmonella of the Salmonella and whatever yeah. else. <laughs> but literally, I mean, they and and their parents you know, aren't even there necessarily to care for them. They don't necessarily have enough food to fill their bellies or whatever. I mean, but they were happy. They were happy to be with each other. They were happy to be with us. They were, and I felt like, look what that relationship does. You know, a happy person is there with you and all of a sudden everybody lightens up. So to me, that is the most important part. So if here we are in a first world country, okay, I'm glad you brought up the difference there because I think that it's worth remembering. So here we are, if we're in a first world country, we have absolutely everything that we need. I mean, maybe we don't have the nicest car, but we've got our car. And and we might not have the money to get the nice things, but we have nice things in comparison to other people. Oh, everybody's got TVs and computers and food and cars and clothes and, you know, and, and they, do things you know i mean they have a soda pop here and there and they have, we have access to everything I mean, we could ever want yeah exactly so here we are and the sky's the limit right and and yet people sit in their own homes feeling like life is awful i might even you know do something horrible to myself right i mean like just feeling like it's hopeless then not to diminish at all where somebody might be at, because I know people's, you know, circumstances absolutely are, you know, sometimes in their own minds so incredibly heavy and maybe they aren't knowing where to get help or how to get help. But, but in reality, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that you could be in a place with everything, but yet your emotional state could even be below people who have far, far less than you that are in, third world countries. That's crazy, right? And, and it's because honestly, um, we have fallen into decline. Okay. That's what it means. So societies that have thrived in the past um, have fallen into decline. We've seen that. Um, there's multiple different examples that, that could be brought up and we're not going to exhaust that list. But you look at Rome, the biggest power in the world, thriving, thriving, thriving. And all of a sudden they fell. All of a sudden they started declining and then boom, before you knew it, it was just, everything was gone. There were key reasons, you know, why that happened. Um, Let's look at France. So um, at the time when, when uh, the Americas were fighting for their freedoms from England, France was quite the power, okay? And I mean, that you know, their society wasn't perfect, but they really um, were a stronger country when it came to um, being of one heart and stuff um, and dwelling in, in more happiness than England was at the time. And then within no time, we see ourselves in all of a sudden, boom, the French Revolution. And it's like, what's going on? 
Well, there were some things that happened within the citizens. There were movements that were pushed throughout society that changed the focus of the people and brought them into decline. And then there was a point where they were okay with self-destructing and with destructing their culture just because they wanted what they wanted. So let's talk about how people change. So either you're of one heart and one mind and your group and your society and your family is all working together. Or if you're in decline or going toward decline, it looks different. It looks like um, that each person thinks about their own heart. Well, and that really is like in their own mind. Yeah. And that is called pride, right? Mm -hmm. And selfishness. And they go very well, you know, hand in hand together. Um, but that, that really is like the first step that happens. So pride creeps in and you allow it to take root in your mind and in your heart. Because, I mean, everyone experiences pride, but it's a, a question of, are you going to allow it to stay there and allow it to affect your behaviors and decisions? Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that's step number one. Thank you, Paige. Um, and so everything becomes about yourself. Okay, when pride creeps in, it's just all about you. What do I feel like? What do I? And we do have a problem nowadays where where the media, even like gurus and stuff like that, they're like, hey, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. I mean, the commercials, hey, it's all about you. What do you want? What do you want? And just appealing to that selfish part of all of us all the time. And the way we spend our time isolating into devices, it's all about us. It's all about us. I'm going to isolate into this device. You know, that's another thing that is not a healthy thing to do. Right. And so then that's when the pride gets there. Oh, don't bug me. Oh, get away from my TV. You know, you're in the way. I mean, this kind of thing, it's, it's all of a sudden, you know, you can only think about what's happening in your own head. So your own mind and your own heart. Yeah. Well, and you kind of already just hit on step number two as well. Um, when you have that pride, you stop sharing what you have with each other. And mm-hmm. so like, just going back to the children in Africa that we met, they, they were literally playing in the garbage dump, but they were, they were like finding these little treasures, you know, in the garbage and they would share and play with each other and um, everything that they had, they shared. Mm-hmm. And um, even if you think and they about- appreciated it too. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, is it was a treasure. They appreciated it and they wanted to share and it. They immediately shared it. Yeah. And it's like, it's also like children in, um, in Germany in the middle of the war, you know, with the Nazis, um, these airplane pilots would walk by in this fence, just full of children. And they'd be like, well, I, I've got like a couple sticks of gum I can give you. And these children, they would break these sticks of gum in half. They would share with those and then they'd pass the wrappers around for the smell, you know, and they just, they loved sharing what they had when they found a good thing they shared. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what it looks like when, you know, you're not prideful, but when you are prideful, you tend to be more selfish and you snap at people and you, you stop sharing your love. You stop sharing your attention um, and you stop sharing the physical worldly things that maybe you do have, but you know, you stop sharing on a deeper, like emotional level as well. You don't share your emotions. You don't share your happiness with others. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think that, you know, people probably think, well, you know, 
maybe it is easier to share when you have less. I would think it would be harder to share when you have less because you'd be like, oh, I have something. But when you're used to not having something and you're used to everybody else not having something, maybe it is easier to share. Uh, people get pretty entitled when they have a lot of stuff. So let's think of what this looks like in our family, okay? So, or within our own hearts, right? So number one, like we said, pride creeps in. Oh, it's all about us. What do I want? How do I feel today? I had a bad day. I had, you know, whatever. Okay. And then number two, okay, you know what? I just need to have my time, my show, um, you know, go to bed, get out of here, whatever. This is all not sharing. Okay. It's not sharing our time, not sharing our presence. Um, and, or what about the children squabbling with each other, fighting with each other? I want the last that, you know, or whatever. And, and everybody's saying, that's mine. That's my seat in the car. That's my air you're breathing or whatever. That's mine. <laughs> and so everybody is always talking about what's mine. In fact, so many parents ask me about that. How do you get your children to stop fighting over what's mine? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, one really big thing is to make sure that not everything is just theirs. They should be, ha they should have to share all the time. I love children sharing rooms together. I mean, same sex, of course, if they're a little tiny, it doesn't matter if they're not, but you I know. say, I, we, I say when I was younger, I shared with my brother. And then as we got a little older, I shared with London mm -hmm. and we shared a room for a long time. And that actually taught us a lot of good things, especially because we're two very different body types, therefore two very different body temperatures. <laughs> and we would always you know have an argument about are we gonna have the fan on the fan off and so there were you know, nights where she got an extra blanket and so that I could cool off and there were nights where I slept with no blankets so that she could you know be comfortable and so learning how to compromise and how to share that space was very important Mm -hmm. In fact, you got the most opportunity to share bedrooms. And mm -hmm. I do think you got a great benefit out of that, actually. Um, because if there's anyone who was probably more inclined to be like, that's mine, it was you. Definitely and so, <laughs> yeah. And so actually, it was really good that you got the, those opportunities, because it did bring out the charitable side of you. Because also, if there's anybody of all the children um, who's like, I, I, oh, I want to give to somebody else. It's also you. It's so true. I love yeah. giving gifts. <laughs> yeah. She loves giving, but also you're acutely aware of what's yours. You know, it's true. That's I have a, a mental yeah. inventory of what I have. <laughs> yeah. So, and so it's, it was really a good thing for you to have that opportunity. And I'm glad that, that you did. And you've had many chances to live, you know, and share rooms with other people. So one thing I need to say here about the second step of decline is of not sharing with people is that, um, and, and this, is, this is actually going to apply really to all the different steps, but whenever parents are silent about a behavior, they are confirming the behavior. Okay. So things need to be discussed. If, if Paige is being selfish and not sharing, and I say nothing about it, then I'm telling Paige, that's fine. It's just like if you watch a show with your children that has something in it that your family does not agree with, and you do not say anything about it, you are confirming that that is okay. 
So my children harass me a little bit because they're like, okay, mom, what's your review of the show? Right. Well, cause so you're we, always looking for hidden agendas, you know, <laughs> I find things I'm like, okay, they did not do that. You know, I was just watching a show last night and I was like, oh, this is such a little cute show. And then in pops this line. I'm like, no, what, why do they have to do that? You know, and all of a sudden it brings in kind of like a, a social movement or a something. And I'm like, okay, can we not just have a regular show? You know, anyway, so, but I always, um, I always have to bring something up and it's because I know as the parent, I have a moral obligation to share what I see so that my children see what I see. And so that I am not confirming some behavior as okay. When it's not okay. I have to tell my children, this is not okay. Even if we just saw it, you know, on a, on a movie or in somebody else's behavior, you know, if we leave somewhere and somebody is behaving in a way that's not correct, then I would say, you know, did you guys notice that wasn't the correct way to behave in that situation that that person did? What do you think they could have done better? You know, and just kind of letting you guys see, oh yeah, I, they should have done this. That would have helped. Right. And, and that would make it so that I'm not confirming that. So let's keep that in mind that parents need to speak up as we move on to the third step of decline. So after people are not sharing with each other, the third step is they start seeing themselves as classes, okay? Mm -hmm. So some people being above other people. Say, and this was very apparent in the French Revolution. You had the aristocrats and, you know, all, these, all the other Bourgeoisie, people. Bourgeoisie, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so they went to the extremes of actually beheading certain people just because they were in a different class and they thought they were mucking things up. Mm -hmm. But um, this happens in families as well. So um, parents can even do this. So like, I'm the parents, you're the kids. Or, okay, boys against girls. Or I'm older, you're younger. That happens a lot with siblings. Mm -hmm. But um, those are different classes. Um, and so... Well, they don't have to be. So they can be just part of the dynamic. I mean, so here's the thing. There is a difference between parent and child. Well, okay? yes, there has to be. And we talk be. about roles. This is super important. In fact, we're going to mention roles a little bit more later. But so we're going to talk about roles. Um, but roles are important. Maintaining parental authority is important. But are you bullying based on that? Mm -hmm. Are you are you deciding to make that division um, an issue that divides, right? And, and are you manipulating under those terms, right? So that's when it becomes a problem. I think we see sibling rivalry all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really common one. And we see parent or children push against their parents, or we see boys against girls in the house, you know, that kind of thing. Um, super common that we see that kind of behavior occur. And if you look at society today, you can see how many people are dividing into groups, political groups, social groups. Oh, you're religious. Oh, you're not. Oh, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, or, there's oh, just... you like this political party. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so where it used to be like, Hey, I'm a giants fan. Hey, I'm a jets fan or whatever, you know, like people would have their teams. Um, and they just be kind of like a little healthy, like, ah, this is my team. This is my team. Now it's like people are picking sides on stuff where it's like all out war in their minds, right? That's going on. And once the war is in the minds of the people, you guys, you're at war. Okay. 
if, if you have war in the minds of your family members, your family is at war. And, and this is really, um, you know, you're, you're, you're in the decline major. Okay. When you're at that state, even if people aren't actually hitting and punching yet. Okay. If it's in their hearts, if they see it, like that they're picked it's happening on. verbally and emotionally. <laughs> yeah. And actually I think we should think about this because lots of times when we think about classes, we think about, Oh, the ones that are above, they always are thinking of themselves as above. Oh no, there's pride on the ones that are thinking, Oh, I am below. I am below. There is also pride there. And we need to remember that there's pride on both sides of that. You know, um, so I, I uh, know a guy who he competes with people in a different way. He'll be like, oh yeah, well, you know, you're just rich. So you have this and you have this. And, and he's just very outward about it. it. Just full of pride about it saying, oh yeah, well, if you had the, you know, if you were rich like you guys, then you'd have whatever. But you know what? I just have my little old house and I'm just fine with that because you know what? Because I'm not rich. And I'm like, are you fine with it though? And why are you bringing wow. this up? Yeah, no, I mean, but that, there's a lot of pride there. And he was probably trying to be funny and like in, like he was trying to act like it was in jest, but you know, when you feel it's real for the person, you're like, why would you even say that? You're yeah, seeking instead some of major one-upping, negative he's attention. One downing. <laughs> he's one downing, exactly. <laughs> but, but this is what we have in society today. There are a lot of people who are like, nobody cares about me. Nobody appreciates me. I'm picked on. I'm not getting enough attention. And because I don't think I'm cool enough, then I must not be to everybody else too. Right. And so there's this, eh, eh, eh. and both sides are, both sides are pride. So we need to remember that. Okay. So what about number four page step four? So after you seeing yourselves as divided from other people, then what? Yeah. And so then comes, you start to lose faith and trust in your higher power. So, you know, whether that is, you know, God or Jesus Christ or whoever your higher power is, um, you start to lose faith in that because once you start dividing yourself and separating yourself from other people around you, you tend to start separating yourself from your core beliefs and from the higher power that used to matter most to you. Mm-hmm. um and the things that you really value so um some of these higher powers could be like the family vision uh that you have that could be one of your core beliefs one of the things that you really hold dear um and that could be something that you're like you know what this just doesn't matter anymore because these people don't care and so you know bag it with the family vision i don't care anymore i'm just gonna live for me and live for what's best for me and i think that's the key piece right there so the key piece is I'm going to live for me. I'm not living for God anymore. <laughs> you know, that's like, that's where, where people get to. Once they start seeing themselves as, you know, persecuted or themselves as elevated either way. Okay. However, they're seeing themselves. Then all of a sudden, everything is about them. They don't need God. They've got to make it right themselves. They put it all on themselves, which really means their own desires and wants and feelings and everything become the God because they stop focusing on that higher power that they should focus on. And this is when societies fall. I mean, they, they get into moral depravity, okay? And this is what happened in France. Uh, certainly what happened in Rome, of course, there was another aspect to Rome religiously that, that occurred, which made things very interesting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, 
there a lot of depravity where the women didn't want to you know be the the mother figure to their children and we're abandoning them and we're becoming wild and bloodthirsty and and harlots and stuff all over the place and and so instead of um promoting virtuous things the adults in society were promoting um sensuality and and bloodthirsty you know and then what happens yeah well i say and then when that happens um, they actually begin to hate other people, which mm-hmm. is step number five. After mm-hmm. you lose faith in a higher power, you begin to hate other people, especially like if you turn like, you know, for us, we are religious people. So to turn against God, then you start to hate everything. It just, it's kind of a byproduct. You start to hate that. people that like God. Yeah. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden they're different from you or they accept something that now you have rejected and mm-hmm. they're like, wow, that's awful. Anyway, and so that hate, that true hate begins to creep in. And I think we see that a lot, um, again, with like the French Revolution, you know, these, these people hated these people so much, they were willing to behead them, because they thought they were messing up the whole society and the whole country. Yeah, hunting people down and uh, crazy stuff. So crazy. So the hate, like you said, leads to step number six. So step number six is, that they start committing all kinds of awful acts against each other, okay? And they're intentionally rebelling. So what does this look like in their the, the in the family? Well, it looks like children going, I hate my brother. I hate my sister. I hate my mom. I hate my daddy. My children bug me, put them to bed, you know, or whatever. Like the parents, you know, hating what they have to do and feeling justified in having a bad attitude and, and the children feeling justified in rebelling against the parents. And, and all of a sudden that's when the hitting is occurring and the, you know, doing things that they know is wrong. Yeah. They know it's wrong. Like, Oh, I'm going to sneak out. They don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like the very bottom of that cycle. (laughs) Well, and so people might be looking at, you know, our society. I I mean, this is where, you know, we're talking about families, but we're also talking about societies because this all goes in together. You look at our family, you look at our society. Sometimes there's a parallel and that is scary. Um, Well, actually it's, it, it should scare us. There's always a parallel. We want a good society. We got to have good families. I mean, that's just how it goes. But if this process is going on in each individual's heart and in their families and in their homes and in their social groups, okay, think social media or whatever, this is happening, then we should not be surprised that it's happening on a bigger scale in society, which also tells us the way to fix it is to fix it in the home. So let's talk about how to fix it in the home. Let's mm-hmm. talk about how to revive that spirit of Once love in the home. Once we hit rock bottom, what do we do now? <laughs> Maybe let's do it before we hit rock bottom. How about that? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd say six is pretty close to rock bottom. So. <laughs> well, yeah, but what I'm saying is how about we, as soon as step number one happens, we go, wait a second, wait a second. It's not true. going down that road. <laughs> how about the second our own heart turns to pride? We go, wait a minute. Like and, and we know that second that our own heart turns to pride. So the child talks back to us, okay? Child talks back. If all of a sudden you're like, oh, whoa, that was so rude. I cannot believe my child was so rude. Boom, you have thrown yourself right into that process, okay? So you do need to correct behavior, but the way you do it, the tone that you have, the mindset that you have, while you are 
correcting that makes all the difference because it puts Mm -hmm. your heart in either the right place or the wrong place. So let's talk about how to revive that spirit of love. So step number one is to focus on the roles and the vision. So we've got to remember who are we and where are we going? I'm not just a, you know, a parent who has to parent people. I'm a mom. I'm a mother. I'm the heart and hearthstone of my family. I'm going to be bonded to my children. And I think it's important that you said, who are we and where are we going? Because when you have pride, you're focused all on yourself. Mm. Good point. So being able to include the vision of the whole family in that analysis is very important. Mm -hmm. And once you've done the analysis on, you know, the whole family and the vision, then you can say, okay, where do I need to do better? Because Mm -hmm. the only person you can change is yourself. So like there does have to be some focus on your own behaviors, but it's a focus on to to make sure that you're doing better and not just to focus on it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And it does have to be about the group, about the family, you know, and you see yourself as part of that, who has a role in that full family group. So you say, who are we as the Peck family, right? And, and how do we work together? So working on our roles. If you have not read the book Roles, The Secret to Business, hello, what is the name of my book? I wrote it. Let's say it again. Uh, the book Roles, The Secret to Family, Business, and Social Success, then you definitely should check that out. It's on Audible if you like to listen to things. Um, also, you can read it. So also in the book, um, Parenting a House United, and in the course, Teaching Self-Government Parenting Course, there's all kinds of stuff on the vision. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, it's chapter seven in the book. Oh, thank you. Chapter seven. Fantastic. Okay. So that brings us to the second thing we can do. Okay. So step number one, who are we? Where are we going? What does it mean to be a child? What do they need from me? What type of a presence do I need to be in their life? These are important things. And then step number two is have family activities. Well, how about we have times where we actually deliberately practice being who we are and heading the way we're heading. Let's have fun. Let's learn together. This is very helpful for us growing up. We had weekly, like planned weekly family activities. So Monday night, we would always have an activity and um, even dad who was at work, he would do his very best to be home for that time so that he could be a part of it. You know, there are times where he had to work and couldn't make it, but he would do his very, very best to be there so that the whole family could be together for this family activity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it wasn't, you know, very expensive it wasn't a flashy thing sometimes it was just a family game night that we actually planned I'm like okay so we're gonna play games and you know have ice cream or something but it was something that we looked forward to uh, because we planned it usually a week in advance and so that anticipation really helped us to grow together you know how people anticipate Christmas like especially young kids it's kind of the same thing um that that's I think that's why Christmas season, a lot of people come together because they're anticipating um, that whole season. And it's a season where you do good. Same thing with family activities. If you anticipate those family activities, they become special and they become bonding experiences. 
Yeah, that's so great. Which brings me to another one, which is cultivate strong relationships. Okay. So cultivating strong relationships is a big part of doing things together as a family. But when we want to have strong relationships with someone, we've got to deliberately do that. We have to say, I want strong relationships with that person. I'm going to give them my time. I'm going to set aside time for them. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to talk to them about things that they're doing that are interesting to them, not just tell them something about myself. You know, I'm going to see if I can see what makes them tick and talk to them more on a regular basis. So um, after that, let's focus on a couple of other things. So we also need to be having family meetings. So family meetings are the time where the family checks up on how they're doing as a group and saying, how are we communicating? How are we solving our problems? So we have three different types of family meetings. Well, we have three. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to say it. Three types of meetings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Okay, so we have couples meetings. We have family meetings. See, that's why I got thrown off there. <laughs> then we have, uh, we have some individual meetings that are called mentor meetings. And those are one-on-one -on -one with the children. Mm -hmm. So this is the way we check up on all the different relationships in the family. If one person, like one parent is going to three meetings, one for their husband and wife relationship, one for the full group, and then one with each of the children, that parent is saying, I am investing here into this relationship, right? And they're helping the person become the best version of themselves, but also bond best into the family. These family meetings are powerful. And Paige, I know that you'll probably remember with me that whenever our family had weeks where we didn't have family meetings, it just made a difference. The weeks we yeah. did have meetings, we were so focused. But the weeks we didn't, it was just like a little more empty. Well, because in the family meetings, we talk about for the week, um, like, so things that maybe the last week are like, okay, we need to work on this. This was a problem. Um, let's talk together how we can fix it. And then for that week, that would be our goal to do better in that area. And then, you know, as other things would pop up, we'd talk about those the next week um, and stuff like that. But when we didn't have a goal and something that we were consistently always working on, it was hard to, you know, look forward to like actually fixing that thing. We didn't really have anywhere where we were going. Yeah, no, it kept us pointed in the right direction, didn't it? Exactly. So true. Okay, so the next thing that we can do to revive the spirit of love is to pray as a family. Now, our family, we've always tried to pray morning and night together as a family. And then of course at meal times too, we're all gathered together and we pray at meals as well. So that can be, you know, multiple prayers happening in a day. Yeah. And that's like, if you're not religious for some reason, then um, that could be like, you know, spending time with your family, doing something that enhances and strengthens your core beliefs. Maybe saying your family mission statement. We do both of those things. We say our mm -hmm. family mission statement every day. But yeah, something that enhances your core beliefs. I think a lot of people pray. Some people meditate maybe, you know, or something. But praying as a family is, wow, it's powerful. You know, when you all get together and say, we are thankful. We are thankful for this because, you know, a good prayer expresses gratitude and then also 
would talk about what you want help with. You would be asking God for help with certain things. So if as a family, you're saying, this is what we're grateful for. And then as a family, you're saying, we need help with this. And God, we're going to work with you on this. You know, please help us on this. And that in our minds, we're working with God on these things that we're talking to him about. Um, That just automatically unifies us anyway with a source of love that is greater than we could ever have anyway. So um, it's just beautiful. We are a praying family. If not, um, you know, ponder what you can do, you know, about that or, or maybe just start being a praying family. Maybe just have moments, you know, here's, here's a good one, Paige. So a lot of times people around the dinner table will say, okay, tell us what you're grateful for today. That right there is beautiful right? Or they might say, tell us the goods and the bads of each day yeah, of the day. <laughs> yeah, the sweets and salties. Exactly. So, so people will say, well, this happened and this was really, really good. So there's the grateful for, right? And then the salty and this happened and da, 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 da. And then people will be like, oh, can I help you with that in some way or whatever? So, it, so then all of a sudden, um, you know, the family is sharing the things they hope for too. All right. So another thing that we can do to revive that spirit of love is um, we can correct and praise the behaviors that are going on. So remember, I said earlier that when parents are silent about something, they're actually confirming the behavior. So um, that really means that correction is super important, but praise is also important. When you tell someone, wow, that was the best choice you could have made, that actually helps the person bond to you. And when you correct someone, they can bond to you too. This is often a revolutionary idea for people, but it is true. Your children should feel closer to you during and after a correction than they even did before if it is done correctly. If you correct your children in the spirit of love and understanding, describing, not reacting, going through a process that is predictable, that they totally know. And I share my processes with you. So definitely go and learn those on the course or in the books and stuff that I share. Um, And then Paige, also, what's the last one? The last thing that we can do to, to really revive that spirit of love in our homes and in our families and our cultures. Yeah, that last one goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about, um, especially with praise. So the last one is express love often. And that can come in many ways. So that love is actually expressed when you do correct negative behaviors and when you do praise positive behaviors, because you're showing your child exactly what you appreciate and exactly what is good for them. But even outside of those corrections and those praises, just telling your your children and your your spouse that you love them and telling them what you're grateful for is so helpful. I know when I when I express love um, with my husband Joseph, I can see just how much he he lights up and mm-hmm. he really appreciates that because um, I know in his mind he sees all the work that he does and I don't always appreciate. Um, or express my appreciation for what he does. But when I take the time to notice, oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing the dishes. You know, even though we discussed that's kind of his job, you know, but like, thank you so much for doing that. Instead of just me expecting it to be done and saying, oh good, it's done. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a big difference there. 
Um, and I know for a fact that it plays into um, some like people's feelings of self-worth, you know, especially when they feel that they're doing a lot of hard work and a lot of good work, but they don't get recognized for it then Mm -hmm. it it tends to play into that. And so I notice a very big difference when I choose to take the time to use my words and to say, thank you, because I like, I do notice it and I do appreciate it, but I don't always tell him Mm -hmm. that I appreciate it. People do not ever get tired of hearing. I love you. And he tells me that at least 10 times every day. (laughs) I love that and he's probably hoping you will say it back to him with as much care and that you'll start that conversation sometimes people do not ever get tired of that it is so important that we express our love and and like Paige you're mentioning that sometimes gratitude expresses the love sometimes a little cuddle you know taking your child on your knee and on your lap and just saying oh you know, you did a great job at doing that particular, you know, thing you were doing, or this was so thoughtful of you. And I just love you so much. And, you know, just saying those things um, really do hit the heart of a person. It's an amazing thing that occurs with that word. Now, before we end this podcast, there is an important thing we've got to do here. So we need to do some assessment. We have just been through the, um, process of of decline the pattern of decline that a person a family a a nation a society goes through we've also gone through how to revive the spirit of love focusing of course mostly on the family but the same thing goes for the nation the community okay the individual um, all of the the principles apply that we discussed so now i want you to ask yourself where are you at where is your family at right now Are you in decline? What is it looking like? And then what pieces of this revival project, reviving the spirit of love, what pieces do you need to focus on? Do you need to focus on who we are and where we're going? Do you need to focus on more family activity time or cultivating a stronger relationship and bond, talking to somebody more, setting time aside for them more, having family meetings, correcting and and praising each other more. Are you allowing some things go that you shouldn't? Um, What about praying together as a family? Is that something you need to be doing and expressing love to them? How are you doing that? You know, my, my husband, he said, you know, my dad, he never really told us that he loved us. I mean, we, we knew he did, but he never told us that he did. And he said, I am not going to be that type of dad. I am going to tell my children how much I love them and appreciate them all the time because it hurt him a little, even though, I mean, his dad was in World War II and, you know, and there's just kind of like a different way of seeing the world. But, um, but he learned from that. He learned that he needed to hear that more and he didn't hear it enough and he wanted to give that to his family. So that's super important. So what pieces do you need to focus on first? In fact, I want you to pick one or two that you need to focus on first. 
Even if you feel like you need to do all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which who doesn't need to do? We all I mean, need no, to do no, all but it's, of it's them. It's funny because like I'll be on mentor calls with uh, individuals and they'll be like, oh my gosh, there's all these things. I'm like, just pick one. Pick one this week that you feel mm-hmm. like you can work on. And then next week you can pick another one. Mm-hmm. Because you can come back to this it. list, right? Mm-hmm. Write it down on a piece of paper. Start with one. Maybe you start with who are we and where are we going? You know, maybe <laughs> yeah. we just start there. That That is a conversation that needs to be had. And you need to decide for yourself, what does it mean to be mom? It doesn't mean cook and bottle washer. That's, I mean, even though we do that, that's not what, that's not what mom means. She's much more than that to the hearts of the people around her. And if you need to read the book roles, read that, you know, inject that into your discussion of who we are and where we're going and maybe get that vision headed in the right direction too, which would be super good. Wow. Thank you so much, Paige, for all of your insights and wisdom today on the Teaching Self-Government podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope that this pattern of decline, as well as how to revive that love in our home, have been very useful to you. I know that just when we talk about this, it helps reinvent me so that I want to go do more things and just be like, I love you. I love you. I love you all over the place to people (laughs) anyway, because really um, it's just that easy as making a decision to do something different and, and then talking to other people about it. So anyway, thank you for joining us today and hopefully you'll have a good day wherever you happen to be. We will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.